This episode of I'm Horrified is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com horrified to get your free audiobook and start listening. It's that easy. Right now, I'm listening to Going Clear by Lawrence Wright, which pairs perfectly with our Scientology segment in episode 6. And I'm listening to The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean, a sizzling romance novel for those who enjoyed episode 49. So head to audibletrial.com horrified to start your free trial now. Happy listening! Hi, listeners. Oh, we are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, Hell ready yeah. to bring you some content right now. Is that I, That's how I feel. Is that how you feel, Sam? Well, I just, you're saying that to me, but your eyes are so dead as you look at me. I'm just trying to give them <laughs> what I can scrape up from the bottom of my soul right now. I know. I feel that way sometimes on this podcast where, like, I've had an extra rough day, but I'm, like, not in front of the kids. Yeah. Like, I have to I be strong that for way. them. Oftentimes, we will fight. You know, a lot. Yes. Very, you know, just throwing terrible words around. Absolutely. And then, you know, but we do that behind closed doors. And yeah. then we come in front of this mic. We're talking to you all, you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, we table that. Yeah. And that's how all your fights should be, folks. Secret and shameful. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> that's the way a healthy podcast partnership works. Don't, you know, give examples of healthy conflict confrontation for your kids. No. We don't do that for you. No. Um, and we're going to get divorced, so <laughs> that's going to be good. Um, or... And you guys will be confused, like, is it my fault? Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, yeah, it is your fault. Yeah. It's your fault. It really is. Um. I'm actually never going to let you divorce me, um, because I know you would take all of my money in the divorce. I would. So I'm just going to have a lot of mistresses. I'd get a real shark of a lawyer. A lot of side podcasts. Yeah, a lot of side podcasts. <laughs> Where are we going with this tangent? Bad stuff, mostly. We're married, but... But we hate each other. But we hate each other, and you're our children, and we're traumatizing you. That yeah. actually sounds about right. Yeah, that's not that far off. No. Welcome to another episode of I'm Horrified. <laughs> or E Glad You Came. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to be taking the lead, talking about some piping hot news, Sam. Ooh, this piping tea hot. is too hot. Ooh, it's piping piping hot. I burnt the roof of my mouth. How long are we going to do this? (laughs) Uh, The college bribery scandal that's going around right now. I am obsessed with this story. We're deep into it. So we thought, why wait? Why wait for more information when we could speculate wildly? You folks need to know. And Um, I know you're thinking, I already know, but maybe you don't. I don't think you do. Yeah. I'm about to tell you. Yeah. Sam, what are you going to talk about after that? Today I'm going to talk about William McGonagall, the worst poet of the English language. Yay. (laughs) That sounds fun. I think it'll be a good palate cleanser after we talk about how the system is rigged towards the rich. Yeah. Uh, It'll be good to just read some, uh, some, some poetry to each other. Yeah. Well, except for that, you know, really terrible part about how... The system of our government and most governments is fundamentally broken and yeah. completely rigged. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's going to be a good time today. I think we're going to have a blast and I'm going to end it with a poem. So. A poem. One poem. One poem. For you folks. But for me. Before a poem, um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, how Aunt Becky got uh, up in the scandal. Let's get into it. So this is kind of the first breaking news we've done. Yeah. Is that right? I think that could Nexium be true. Nexium was kind of breaking. Nexium had broken in upstate New York. Like, okay. that's the thing. Like, there was already good reporting on it, but, like, 
just widely people didn't know about it. People only knew about it if they were from my hometown. Right. Well, I mean, I, I remember in like 2014 or so before we graduated college, you were driving us around. Yeah. Um, me and Becky around your hometown and you're like, and that's where the cult is. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you were ahead with the scoop. Yeah. I've and we kind of came scoop. on later and then we had updates. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one's this one's fresh. This is just now <laughs> this happening. This is right out the oven. Um, so we're recording this Wednesday the 13th, and then this broke yesterday uh-huh. on the 12th. So this is really snappy, uh, even though this episode won't air until the 18th. I hope by the time this airs, everything we talk about is wrong. I pray that. <laughs> and we just have to upload it and just be like, sorry guys, we thought Whoops. we knew. Yeah, I mean, we're not CNN, what do you want? <laughs> um, so yesterday, I'll, I'll kind of make it cinematic for you from my perspective. I'm so excited. Yesterday I saw an article on my feed, just scrolling through. Uh, and it was from the Washington Post, and it had that little red bar at the bottom that says breaking. <gasps> I live for that. She's broken. It's so fun. Oh, she's broken. It broke. <laughs> um, it always gets me very, very excited when I see that. And the headline said something like, cheating lies and bribes. And I was like, ah, my three core elements. <laughs> Let's dive in. So basically what's happening right now is that 50 people were indicted as part of a multi-million dollar bribery scheme to get their dumb kids into good colleges. Mm -hmm. So maybe some of you had the same question that I did, which is, is that illegal? (laughs) (laughs) Feels like that's been allowed. Because, yeah, I I know that that sounds really ignorant, but I kind of asked Chris, because Chris was like, oh, the news today, as he often does. (laughs) Um, And I was like, is that like a, I don't understand. I was like, explain to me why this is like a big deal. And he's like, oh, it's fraud. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I didn't, I didn't understand why it was this big deal, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, But it turns out it is. And the way they went about it is just majorly uncool. (laughs) So we're going to break it down. So what happened? Um, apparently the scheme was uncovered by accident as the FBI were undercover for a different mission. Oh, really? So, now this just, like, screams 21 Jump Street to me. Yeah, it really does. (laughs) Like, I'm picturing a couple of grizzled FBI agents in their, like, Uh mid-40s pretending to be pothead stoners or, like, frat boys. I love that. And then they overhear someone, like, a 50-year-old man took the SATs for me and they're like, the drugs can wait. Like, we will just, we need to focus our energy on this right now. I'm just saying, we haven't had a 21 Jump Street sequel in a few years now. I'd love one. So I loved those. Channing Tatum and Seth Rogen, no. (laughs) Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. They're the same man. They're pretty interchangeable, yeah. Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill, now is your time to shine. Yep. Absolutely. Come back. Make a 23 Jump Street about this. And they have to interview all of, like, the moms. And yeah. And there's, like, sexy, crazy, inappropriate situations. I and one, it. one of them has to become a teen uh, influencer in order to get in good with all these other teen influencers <gasps> who are involved. Yeah. And they think it's going to be Channing, but it turns out that Jonah Hill just really snaps in and he's amazing at Instagram. Wait, should we release this <laughs> podcast or should you bottle that idea, write the screenplay and I then might. option the movie rights? I might. I might do that. Um, although I would rewrite it so that they are now the mentors of a two-woman team that's going into the college because, again, I don't find men funny. That's true. Uh, We've taken a pretty hard line on that in yeah. this podcast. But you can just continue on. Sorry All to right. No, 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 no. Please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> So what technically legally happened yesterday was that the U.S. Attorney for Massachusetts, Andrew Lelling, announced that 50 people were charged with fraud. 
in, again, what is being described as the largest prosecuted college bribery scandal to ever be prosecuted. Wow. Um, again, it's like to ever be prosecuted. <laughs> That's not to say that like Harvard hasn't <laughs> let in all the Bush guys yeah. like year after year. Um, and I wasn't exactly sure why it was announced in Boston and sub and subsequently most of the trials will be happening in Boston as well. But I believe it has something to do with meetings and phone calls that took place in Massachusetts where the bribes occurred. Okay. So wherever you're doing the dirty is where you is where you get tried account for the dirty. For the dirty. Yeah. Um so I, I suppose a good number of transactions yeah. or possibly money was deposited through Massachusetts. Yeah. Or it could have been like the Shell Corporation yes. of X and Y exactly. was Massachusetts based. Which we'll tell you about in a minute. So um the breakdown of these fifty people are a smattering of those involved. Some were SAT administrators and test proctors, some were athletic coaches at elite schools, mm-hmm. but the majority, thirty-three of those charged were parents. So parents trying to get their students into school. Yikes. The big reason this is catching fire in the news is because two, arguably three, of those parents are famous. One was Felicity Huffman, who paid to increase her daughter's SAT score chiefly, and the other was Lori Laughlin and her husband Massimo something. I didn't look up his last name because he's the Massimo of Target Massimo. Did you know that? What? Yes. Wait, excuse me? Yes. Wait. Yes. Wait. I mean, unless I read something really inaccurate. <laughs> no, I believe you're right. I think that's right. I just can't believe it. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm I probably can't... wearing one of those tank tops right now. I was going to say, can I legally buy their amazing basics anymore? I still will. Fuck. Um, oh my god. So they, so they, as a couple, paid a total of $500,000 to have their two daughters designated as recruits to the crew team at USC, even though neither of them rode crew. <laughs> So one of their daughters is also, like, I don't want to use the word famous because I don't know what it's, she's famous for. I think she's an She's a vlogger, influencer, kind of Instagram person. Yeah. I sound 100 years old right now. Um, But, yeah, she had actually, a lot of stories are coming about her. I feel kind of bad because, I mean, she's an adult, but she's just, like, an idiot teen. Yeah. Like, I did stupid shit like that. I just didn't have a famous mom and a camera. Yeah, I'm so, so blessed that there wasn't, yeah, YouTube wasn't big when yeah. I was a teenager. I, I, I don't really feel the need to roast her. Yeah. Though there's apparently plenty to roast. Because yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, I don't know. Everyone's like, well, when you turn 18, you're an adult. I'm like, that's not true. Yeah. Um, Like, 23, you gotta start scraping your shit together. Um, A lot of people do it before that. But, mm. I mean, I don't know. I'd rather, like, make fun of the parents who are exploiting their wealth. Yeah. So also, Felicity Huffman's husband is William H. Macy, who's also famous, and there's also some accounts of him being involved in some ways, but for some reason he has not been charged or arrested. Yeah. Um, They have both been arrested. All three of the ones I just mentioned have been arrested. And I'm assuming they're out on bail, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I actually think I saw on Twitter the reason that William H. Macy has not been arrested. Do you know? Yeah, and it's the, the what Twitter told me, which Twitter is um, 100% true all the Completely time. Completely infallible. It's like reading a police report. <laughs> so what Twitter said to me was that they had, like, two children that they were maybe going to put in the Huffman-Macy family. And then they didn't do the second and one. And they didn't do the second one. And the second one is when they have him on the phone saying, like, yeah, that'd be great if we could increase their SAT score. Like, he's not really... They just oh. have her on the phone with the one they went through with. Got it. 
And like so technically, yeah, technically they didn't go through with, and maybe the second kid of theirs is smarter. But That's exactly they... what I thought. They're like, oh, I guess we don't need to, you know, <laughs> Stacy's perfectly not dumb. Yeah. Um, so like, wow. it's, it's like clearly he was involved, but they technically don't have enough to book him and they do have enough to book her. Great. Cool. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> so I think it's fine if we move on. Um... So, at first glance, it looks like two famous women are at the center of the scandal. If you look at any of these articles, it's pictures the of two, these women two women are, you know, Lori Loughlin and Felicity Huffman are at the, at the top. But at the center, actually, is a 58-year-old man. Classic. What a shock. <laughs> this man is named William Rick Singer, whom I will now refer to as Ricky for my own enjoyment. <laughs> Ricky had, in theory, been running a for-profit college counseling and preparation program. And those exist. Yeah. So, like, there's no shortage of ways that rich people can legally tip the scales in their favor with prep classes, mm-hmm. tutors, what what have you. But he was not interested in the legal college prep. What fun is that? <laughs> no a- interest. According to prosecutors, he, over the phone, once said to a parent, so what we do is help the wealthiest families in the U.S. get their kids into school. And, yeah, that was... <laughs> That's the mission. I mean, in theory, that could be legal. You know what I mean? It's like, we're basically Kaplan, but we only deal with rich dweebs. Um, (laughs) No, rich hotties, because the dweebs are going to get in. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So the Boston Globe has this great little flowchart of what happened and how money changed hands, which I'm pretty much about to plagiarize. Nice. But it's not plagiarizing if I I tell you it was their idea, right? No, you're you're sourcing them. Yeah, I don't, please don't arrest me. (laughs) I don't know what you can be arrested for now. (laughs) Like, you can arrest people for that. Um, so step one is that Singer approaches parents and discusses how they want to go about taking their bouncing baby idiot and getting them into Yale. Mm-hmm. Do they, A, want their child to get extra time on their SATs and use that extra time to get their answers corrected? Mm-hmm. So they would apply for, you know, extra time. There's there's lots of different ways you can get extra time. A lot of it's because you have, like, a learning disability yeah. or something. So you apply for that. And then in that extra time they would pay, like, assistants to go in and correct your answers. Yeah. So I think the SAT proctors had to be in on it. A lot of people were in mm-hmm. on it. Um, so that's one option. Do they want to take it one step further and just have one of his little busy bees go take the SAT for them? <laughs> um, you could do that. Honestly, if I was about to pay for my kid to get their answers corrected, I would just be like, just send your guy in. Like, yeah. I don't even trust my kid to write down their name. I can see these bratty children just being like, well, I have to go in. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I love the SATs. That sounds so stupid, but I really just, like, got real high off of the adrenaline of taking standardized tests. Interesting. But I was hungover when I took the ACTs, so I'm a woman of multitudes. (laughs) Um, okay, and then the third option, more extreme, do they see, want to take what he referred to as the side door and bribe college sports coaches into putting their kids on team rosters. Yeah. So that's what Aunt Becky did. Yes. Those were the three menu choices in this clusterfuck of wealth. <laughs> God. So I think maybe the slightly different things happened within those categories, mm-hmm. but that those were the main categories of how this fraud happened. Okay, so now on to step two. Step two is that they pay Singer an exorbitant amount of money for these lies. So anywhere from... $15,000 to $75,000 per test. And he was paid millions over this whole scheme to um, bribe college coaches. Yeah. I think I read on average parents paid between two hundred dollars and $400,000 a student for his services. 
So parents would pay money to a fake nonprofit organization set up by Singer called the Key Worldwide Foundation, which I don't even know what he was pretending that was for. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It reminds me of uh, Prestige Worldwide. Yeah. Um, but Sam, we're both fundraising professionals. Fun fact. True. What happens when you make a um, charitable donation? What do you get to do? You get to write that off in your taxes, That's Allie. absolutely correct. And oh, that's absolutely yeah. what they did. Um, that fucking sucks. Real nice. Holy shit. Couldn't sucks. you just not do that? Yeah. I can't even. Oh, God. All right. Step three. Step three is that Singer takes that money, probably keeping a good amount for himself. I'm just going to assume that. And uses it to bribe SAT and ACT test proctors, college coaches, and anyone else who he needs to get involved. Some college coaches pocketed all of the money, and some said that they took it and put some back into the school, or, like, didn't keep it all for themselves. But I really don't buy that. (laughs) It's like, private colleges are, like, bloated cash pigs, so it's not like they're going to be like, but my kids needed basketballs, like, they didn't have shoes to go to these (laughs) track meets. Like, thank you, next. That's not happening. Um... So that is basically how the money changed hands. Those mm-hmm. were the flow, the money flow of these fraudulent charges. Yeah. William Singer appeared in federal court in Boston and pled guilty immediately yesterday. So that was likely because of a plea deal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's official, but I wouldn't be surprised if he pled guilty immediately because he got a plea deal if he would rat everybody else out. I'm sure that's what happened. I am positive that that's what happened. So... He's probably going to just throw everyone under the bus, but he won't be sentenced until June. I think Felicity Huffman's trial is in March. Soon. A couple days. I don't know anything about Aunt Becky. I'm sorry. She's the one I'm sorry for, even though she seems to be the worst. I think she was the worst. She was the worst. And also her influencer daughter sucks so bad. She does. She seems shitty. Um, So I have a fun little excerpt for you. So Andrew Lelling, the U.S. attorney from Massachusetts that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. he had this to say as he announced the indictments. I'll put on my lawyery voice. Please do. Um, And he doesn't have a thick Boston accent, but anytime you turn the news on and somebody's announcing something, they do usually. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, on the third this morning, like, you know what I mean? It it brings you back to like JFK days. Yeah. I'd love for Um, you to do the accent if you're so inspired. You know what? I'm going to table it for now. I'm just not in the, I'm not in the headspace. That's right. Can you read one of these poems later in a Boston accent? (laughs) I will do my best. Um, So he said, today we have charged 33 parents nationwide with hiring singers group to defraud testing companies and or universities. These parents are a catalog of wealth and privilege. They include, for example, CEOs of private and public companies, successful securities and real estate investors, two well-known actresses, a famous fashion designer, and the co-chairman of a global law firm. Based on the charges unsealed today, all of them knowingly conspired with Singer and others to help their children either cheat on the SAT or ACT and or buy their children admission to elite schools through fraud. Singer's clients paid him anywhere between $100,000 and $6.5 million for this service, though the majority paid between $250,000 and $400,000 per student. This case is about the widening corruption of elite college admissions through the steady application of wealth combined with fraud. There can be no separate college admission system for the wealthy, and I'll add that there will be no separate criminal justice system either. Oh, mic drop. What a mic drop. Wow, I love that. So, there are a few more details here and there, but that's pretty much what we know. Oh my god, We don't know a ton. It's so wild, But we do though. know a ton. It's just, it's just wild. And I never thought I'd see, like, Felicity Huffman and Lori Loughman's faces next to each other for anything. Like, what two randos. I could see them starring in a Hallmark movie. 
Yeah. Where they're two sisters. Right. And one of them has always been the wild child. The other one defrauds Yale. And the other one defrauds Yale. Yeah. Uh, but then they open a bakery. Like, that's what I could see. I feel like Lori Laughlin's career would have to take a step up and Felicity Huffman's would have to take a step down <laughs> for that to happen. But so, yeah, I mean, literally as we speak, there are more articles being written about this and more leads being followed. So it'll be interesting for us to have updates on this one. Yeah, this will be a what's fun happening. Um, but the thing that I wanted to talk about that is kind of more horrifying to me than anything, mm-hmm. because I have to admit, I'm not super offended by this honestly i mean it's a it's offensive for obvious reasons but it does not surprise me in the slightest because i just feel like we all know how when you have money almost everything in your life is easier and more catered towards you and your success yeah like to me this is no more ethically wrong than some rich political family purchasing a wing of some museum or library at harvard just as their son is applying yeah and then he gets in And he has never done anything valuable in his life. A.K.A. the Jared Kushner model. Exactly. So it's like, you know, this is just an illegal example of that. Yeah. Example of the pipeline of kids who get to go to fancy schools and build on their already huge mountain of privilege in a perfectly legal way. So the most basic example of this is that a private or state education can throw extremely young adults into multiple thousands of dollars of debt. Yeah. Like, any education can cripple you financially for the bulk of your young and even older life. Mm -hmm. That is way worse to me than this obvious idea that rich kids can buy their way into college. It's like, of of course they can. Like, is this where we're drawing the line? So, like, and then on a smaller scale, like like we talked about in terms of unpaid internships, I think we all need to think about how much money goes into the college process in general. Mm Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to not have to hold down a job in high school. I had a job, but I didn't have to have that job. Yeah, same. So, like, there you go. There's my time to go to extracurriculars, bump up my resume, do, like, honor society things, because I had that free time. My parents paid for me to go to the Kaplan SAT prep classes. Mm -hmm. So that, what was that, $300 that they had that other people didn't, that they gave to me, I had that leg up. Mm -hmm. Um, They paid for tutors for me in subjects that I wasn't doing well in. And then, like, the most basic of things, like, they paid for me to have a warm meal to eat every night. Yeah. So I went to school rested and nourished and ready to learn and happy to learn and having a good experience in school. So, like, I was able to build up my communication skills and individuality in a way that is more commodified by the collegiate application process. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. Because of money. Mm -hmm. And, like, sure, I'm a perfectly fine human being Mm -hmm. but a big reason why I'm a perfectly fine human being is because my parents were able to give me every opportunity in the world now that is not to say that people without those opportunities don't rise to that occasion and become far more interesting than I am yeah (laughs) so many of them do and you know that's the thing to me that's fucked up is that there's so many markers of sort of that collegiate collegiate academic success that can be marred by money. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, that's the fucked up thing to me, is that the system we judge applicants on is so deeply flawed and soaked in privilege already, and we're okay with that. So, like, yeah, Lynette Scavo fucked up. (laughs) That's for sure. But just because a system is legal doesn't mean it's ethical. 
So this can't be the line we draw between good and bad. Yeah. That's what I'm taking away from this. Sam, what are you taking away from this? And again, we, we're not at the end of it. So like, what, yeah, are, what are your still, bubbling thoughts? There's still so much more to come. Yeah, it's just like, it's so hard. Cause like, that's like, what she said. Sorry. <laughs> just, just a train right through your thought process. <laughs> but I was like, I should, I lost my chance. Then I was like, no, I'm going back. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> um, it's so long and hard because. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do it. <laughs> Okay, sorry, we're cackling and we're talking we're about just, we're the, just how eleven, this and is. we both got into college. This I know. is what this is privilege in action. I if know. somebody let us fucking fools get into an accredited <laughs> university, that is wrong. Yeah, well, it's just so here's so okay, so here's something that I think. Give me something. Here's one thing. Give that me I've, one thing. Here's the thought I've had. Um, <laughs> the one thought you've had in your life. Give ever. me it. It's, I'm about to reveal it on this podcast, then we'll end it. I need to talk about Lori Laughlin's daughter a little bit more. I'm sorry. I know you didn't want to roast her. No, roast her. I need to roast her a little. So she's this YouTuber, and I was furiously Googling her the other day, yesterday, and apparently, like, months ago, there was a mini scandal because she, on her YouTube channel, was like, you know, I'm going to college. Like, I don't know how many classes I'll really go to because YouTube will always be my number one priority. But I do really want to, like, go to parties and meet people. Um, but don't worry, you guys. I'll still be posting every day. And it was like, your mom, <laughs> we now know, <laughs> paid at least $250,000. Yeah. So you could party. Yep. But YouTube will always be your number one priority. Like, that really, that really hit me. But then it's also, like, she might not have even known that they did that. For so many people, college is just, like, a status symbol. Well, it's just a thing you feel like you, you get have... to do, and it's just, like, and, and it's just another facet of privilege. It's, you know, I grew up because my parents were able to work their asses off and take us on vacations every now and again, thinking that everyone got to do that. Like, yeah. Of course everyone gets to take a vacation. So many people can't do that. Yeah. And so I didn't appreciate it as much as I appreciate it now because mm -hmm. now I'm, you know, like eating Kraft mac and cheese at the end of the month <laughs> so I can make it to my, my next rent paycheck. But it's just like, you know, I think, t I mean, we went to a super hipster, artsy, liberal arts college. Yeah. Tons of kids there were rich beyond imagining. I'm shocked that um, Emerson isn't in. Oh, I am floored. <laughs> and we went to school with a lot of celebrity kids as yeah. well. So I'm not, I don't know, I'm not shocked by that. That's not new or interesting to me that rich kids are ungrateful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I guess. To me, it was the thing that made me realize was like this girl didn't even so clearly did not want to go to college. Yeah. And it was her parents wanting the status of sending their yes, kid to a college. Yes, that's a really college. good point, is that's that's what it's become now. It's not about education yeah. in the slightest. Like, it, and it would have been so easy, because this girl is, like, semi-okay at YouTube, right? Like, is, yeah, write is a college application about that. But I just mean, like, if she had said, like, hey, guys, I'm not going to college because I, I'm oh, a right, right. professional just, I'm YouTuber, doing my own thing. Then, like, people would have been like, cool, you're gorgeous, you can do that. Go go forth. Go and do it. Yeah. But, like, it her parents needed her to have that status symbol. And also the idea of, like, I like the idea of saying not only is my daughter beautiful and talented, but she's smart. You yeah. know what I mean? Not everyone's smart. No. 
And certainly not everyone at college is smart. Yeah. But and college like, is not an indicator necessarily of how smart you absolutely are. Absolutely not. A lot of people who didn't go to college are 100% smarter than me. Yeah. And a lot of people who didn't have the opportunity to go to college are not only smarter than us, but, you know, didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. So there's your indicator right there. It's kind of meaningless. Yeah. And I say that being very grateful for my college experience. Yes. But also knowing that it is not an indicator of how interesting, smart, what have you we are. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I don't either. I feel like I'm deeply rambling, but this story has just... Do you know what I mean? This is the thing. Is like, I don't even know what it is that I am thinking about, but I'm thinking strongly. Yeah. So what I would love more than anything is for you guys to tweet at us or email us at imhorrifiedpodcast at gmail.com with any thoughts you have because yeah. I'm trying to piece together an opinion an opinion about this a stronger opinion and usually we come to you with opinions but we don't have one we have all these like smatterings of like Feeling. privilege <laughs> and you know what it means to be a bratty child what it means to not understand you know systems of oppression yeah. all of this stuff is like mishmashed in here yeah and I don't know what any of it means. Yeah. So maybe that's because this happened yesterday and I chose to talk about it at length. <laughs> but you know what? We already made that choice. It's so already done. So let's make a new one. Tell I really want to hear your thoughts. Please tweet at us. Um, please email us. Please leave us a comment. And uh, we'll figure it out together. Yes. As we often do. Always. So I'm ready to I'm ready to kind of wash my hands of this yeah. for now. Only to get them dirty again when there's new breaking news about this story. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we will bring you the latest um, uh, when we get around to it. Yeah. Whenever I have a chance. But I yeah. will tell you, I've been looking at a lot of Full House gifts recently. There's been some great tweets. Oh, Sam, you had a couple of good tweets on your phone. The, let's I read mean, a few. can I just read the only one that's important to me? Yeah. Let's which, read one funny tweet. I already retweeted, so folks, you can just go to my Twitter to read this tweet, or I can read it out loud to you right now on this podcast. Um, so Chase Mitchell at Chase Mitt tweeted, my one request to the judge when sentencing Lori Laughlin, have mercy. Hey. I love it. Died. Wait, can I read the other one? Cause I love it. That's yeah. my favorite. So my favorite tweet about this is from SJ Shower. So S-J-S-C-H-A-U-E-R. Um, and it's Lori Laughlin paid 500000 for her daughter to get into USC, and that's fucked up. I got into college the old-fashioned way, a.k.a. sucking the dean's dick and blackmailing him and his family. <laughs> <laughs> so that just gave me life. So, yeah, we're just gonna joke and tweet and meme about this until we understand um, yeah. the complicated workings of privilege. Absolutely. All right. Uh, now I feel ready. Now I feel ready to move forward. Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show. Now we can talk about, I think, a real man of the people. I think, I, I don't know anything about this man. I'm so Tell excited. Me about him. I didn't until recently. So, take a, take a step back. So sometimes, you guys, things like this college bribery scandal happen, and it becomes so clear, like, what one of us is going to talk about that week. Yeah. And, like, when I heard la last week, like, a, a couple weeks before yeah. that, I had heard about Dorothy Dandridge, and I was like, oh, I'm doing her on the podcast right. soon. You told me, you're like, if you're not doing the college bribery scandal, I'm going to do it. Yeah. We were both so hype about we're it. we're ready to do it. Sometimes, I would say, you're not feeling as inspired to find something horrifying. 
So you have to go searching for it. That you, happens to me a lot. You have to look. Yeah. And so the other day I Googled people who were famously bad at their jobs. Just to see what I could what get. What a good Goog. <laughs> just to see what that would give me. And I found a couple future podcasts. Great. From that Google. But today I'm going to talk about one in specific. The life and times of William McGonagall. Uh. So William Topaz McGonagall. No. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> just stop. I'll get to it. No. <laughs> was the poet and tragedian of Dundee, Scotland and has been wildly hailed as the writer of the worst poetry in the English language. Yeah, lit. His poems are truly horrifying, although the story <laughs> of his life is so lit. So let's just do this. It's a oh, little good. bit of a confusing episode, but let's just talk no, about no, it. No, no, no. I'm ready to have a good time for once. <laughs> so William was born in Ireland around 1865. He usually told people he was about five years younger than what he actually was, and he always told them he was born in Scotland, and both those things were a lie. Um, but he did move to Scotland pretty young, uh, and he considered himself a Scot. He, uh, William was apprenticed to follow his father's trade as a handloom weaver. Ooh. Which, what an old folksy job. Uh, and he was apprenticed in 1840 when he was around 15, which means he didn't have any formal education after that point. And that's probably going to come up again, isn't it? <laughs> well, I will say William continued to educate himself. He loved to read. He loved to perform. Mostly what he did was to read cheap copies of Shakespeare's work. So, like, not correct, Good. necessarily, Good. is what he was reading. So William settles down. He marries a fellow mill worker named Jean King, and they have seven children, because it's the 1800s, so why not? And it's around this time that the Industrial Revolution happens, meaning that weavers are slowly becoming obsolete. Oh, no. So that's no good. And then in 1877, along with that... His oldest daughter shames the family by giving birth to an illegitimate child. How could she? No. How could she do I'm this? I'm out of the job and I have a slut child. I know. What a bummer. So William is at his lowest point, but from adversity blooms the brightest flowers. Is that adversity? I don't know. <laughs> I'm a poet too, Allie. That's true. And William is suddenly struck with this like burst of creativity, or as he puts it in his autobiography, quote, I seemed to feel as if it were a strange kind of feeling stealing over me and remained so for about five minutes. A flame, as Lord Byron had said, seemed to kindle up, up my entire frame along with a strong desire to write poetry. Ooh, I know what he's talking about. And I felt so happy, so happy that I was inclined to dance. And then I beca began to pace backwards and forwards in the room, trying to shake off all the thoughts of writing poetry. But the more I tried, the more strong the sensation became. I was, it was so strong, I imagined that a pen was in my right hand with a voice crying, write, write. Ugh. So he... Speaking of <laughs> shitty guys we went to college with... <laughs> Just imagine being his poor wife and, like, walking in to see him being like, uh, I have to write poetry. <laughs> like, I'd be like, you have to get a job. She's like, you know, we haven't paid our rent this month, right, babe? <laughs> right? So, mind you, William had never written poetry before. Uh, the closest he had ever come was when his shopmates paid a local theater to allow him to play Macbeth. Because he oh. used to read Shakespeare in the shop to entertain them. Uh, and that didn't really end well because William became convinced that the actor playing Macduff was jealous of him and therefore refused to die in the final act. That was his style. That's a huge <laughs> mood. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, no, that thing about cesarean sections doesn't apply to me. 
I totally, totally believe. <laughs> good, good Shakespeare deep cut, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, I totally believe that if I were born at a different time, or even if my life just goes kind of the right way, this is how I'm going to act for the Absolutely. rest of my life. But you know what? Inspiration is struck. William is going to be a poet. And his first poem is called An Address to the Reverend George Gilflian. Tell me you're going to read it. I am. Or I was going to have you read it. Oh, fuck yeah. Let's do this. So, um... I don't have the Boston accent on me today. No, don't do um, today. What I would like to say is, originally I was intending to pull an excerpt from this, but to get it, you just have to hear it all. Yeah, let's do this. So, Allie, again, for the listeners at home, Allie and I both have formal acting training. Yeah. We are familiar with prose and poetry. Yeah. And how to deliver it. I am a trained Shakespeare in order. Quite literally, Allie is. <laughs> so I would just like you to read this poem. <clears throat> Scroll when you need to. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's hop on this. All hail to the Reverend George Gilfillan of Dundee. He is the greatest preacher I did ever hear or see. He is a man of genius bright, and in him his congregation does delight. Because they find him to be honest and plain, affable in temper, and seldom known to complain. Oh, the couplets are running me dry. (laughs) He preaches in a plain, straightforward way. The people flock to hear him night and day. (laughs) And hundreds from the doors are often turned away. Oof. (laughs) Because he is the greatest preacher of the present day. He has written the life of Sir Walter Scott, and while he lives, he will never be forgot. Now, when he is dead, because by his admirers, it will often be read that he and fills their minds with wonder and delight and while away the tedious hours on a cold winter's night. That's from a Christmas thing. That's not even his rhyme. He has also written about the bards of the Bible. So he's just listing things this guy has written. Who is this guy? Is this him? Is he just talking about himself? (laughs) He's also written about bards. This has no plot. Like, there's no plot moving it forward. He has also written about the bards of the Bible, which occupied nearly three years in which he was not idle. What does that mean? (laughs) He was busy. (laughs) (laughs) Because when he sits down to write, he does it with a might and main. And to get an interview with him... Would almost be in vain. (laughs) And in that he is always right, for the Bible tells us, whatever your hands findeth to do, do it with all your might. Reverend George Gilfillan of Dundee, I must conclude my muse. And to write in praise of thee, my pen does not refuse. Is this his pen he's calling him? (laughs) Is that what's happening right now? Nor does it give me pain to tell the world fearlessly that when you are dead, they shall look, they shall not look upon your like again. That wasn't even a rhyme at the end. Nope. What happened just now? So, um, the Reverend uh, Gilfillan was a real dude, and he actually read the poem, and he commented admiringly, quote, Shakespeare never wrote anything like this. That's true. (laughs) So, Allie, uh, again, you and I are both trained actors. Yeah. And we're familiar with poetry. I think I did a pretty good job. With the written word. And I assumed uh, that you noticed that this is less a poem than it is a series of thoughts where every two lines rhyme. Yeah, I there's mean, no rhythm. <clears throat> there's no metaphor. <laughs> I don't go out of my way to besmirch the couplet. No, but I'm not its biggest fan. Yeah, but I mean Shakespeare used a lot of them, and it, and I I think there's room for a couplet if something else is also happening. Room for a couple of couplets. Hey, I am a poet. But literally, like every line is a different number of syllables. There's no like flow to any like even just reading it. I honestly don't even care about that though because it's like. 
You can make anything work if it's a compelling narrative. I don't know what just happened to me. Yeah, you were just listing. I was just saying, and then he did this, and then he did this, <laughs> and it was, like, kind of listing, you know, some boring man's afternoon. Though I guess that that's, that's what Ulysses is about. And that's <laughs> famous, supposedly. Ulysses is a little bit more interesting than the Reverend can fill in. <laughs> You'd have some people debate you on that. So you'd think that because this is his very first poem, it's only going to go up from here. Actually, it will only go sideways. This is William's style and he sticks to it. I mean, I just wish he gave me more about Gil Fillon. Like, does he meet somebody? No. Does he go through any kind of personal growth? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. So William keeps writing uh, and he begins making money by reciting his poems. Mind you, he recites them in bars and circuses where the crowds are allowed to pelt him with fruit. Good. But he is making character. He is making fifteen shillings a night, so he's fine with it. He's like, yes, as long as I can perform my poetry. Oh yeah, throw shit at me. That's how I feel about going to work every day. It's like, <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna get pelted with fruit, but I need those fifteen shillings. So. Amen. Uh, and the people of Dundee, like he was really a cult figure in Dundee because they realized he was he was really so bad that it was funny again. Like, yeah, he went all the way around the bend. He went all the way around the circle. So in Dundee, he was, like, very well received. Yeah, this reminds me of, what's her name? Uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. Yes, a lot like that. But it was it was kind of different because it was so terrible that people found her sort of endearing yeah. and charming. Yeah, it was kind of like that, except they were just like, idiot! And he was like, fine. Yeah, that's better to me. Um, And it, actually, his gig at the circus became so raucous that the city magistrates banned him. And William, of course responded with a poem yes protest poem so the poem is very long i'm gonna read one stanza and then i might read a different one if we have time so we'll make the time so here's the first stanza here's the opening of the poem fellow citizens of bonnie dundee are ye aware how the magistrates have treated me oh (laughs) nay do not stare or make a fuss when i tell ye they have boycotted me from appearing in royal circus (laughs) <laughs> which in my opinion is a great shame and a dishonor to the city's name he's oh roasting my god them. <laughs> he is fucking great he is reading them like a goddamn book right now and so just to say so i'm just skipping ahead to the third stanza so the first half of it is just him listing poems how much could he's, he possibly say after that <laughs> he's a lot to say so literally the beginning of this is just him going like wasn't it i who wrote this poem and this poem? And this poem? He lists seven poems Good. that he's just written. And then he says, But fellow citizens, I will not submit to such an indignity, for I am resolved to leave the city and bid the city <gasps> a long farewell, for I cannot get protection in it to dwell. Therefore, I'm resolved from it to flee, for a prophet has no honor in his own country. I like that line. And try to live in some other town where the magistrates won't boycott me or try to keep me down. (gasps) (laughs) I like to imagine that he's saying this on the back of like a truck bed as he's kind of being driven off and his voice gets more and more distant and people are just kind of like, what's going on over there? No, he doesn't move for another 10 years. He writes this poem, but he never leaves. I love that. So William takes his poetry very seriously, and he realizes that he's going to need a patron if he's really going to be able to write and perform his poetry full-time. Naturally. And he decides the obvious patron for him, Queen Victoria. 
Oh, yeah. So he writes to her and receives a letter of rejection from, like, her royal functionary. Basically, like, thank you for your interest in being someone who Victoria patronizes. The We're not The position gonna. has been filled yeah, by literally. anyone else. Uh, yeah, literally. He interprets this letter as praise for his work, which it was not. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but it gives him a lot of confidence, and he's so confident uh, that at one point he's mocked by the chief Templar at the International Organization of Good Templars for writing poetry that was, quote, very bad. <laughs> and he <laughs> responded to it uh, saying, quote, it was so very bad that Her Majesty had thanked me for what the chief Templar has condemned. Oh, snap. <laughs> and the chief Templar's like, that's not what she said. Um, and then William's like, you know what's really going to take me over the top if I can perform live for the Queen? Conveniently, the Queen is at her home in Balmoral, which is only 60 miles of mountainous terrain from Dundee. Perfect. Get to Stefan. So he does. He walks. No, what? <laughs> through a thunderstorm from Dundee no, he to does Balmoral not do that. to perform for Queen Victoria. And when he arrives, he announces himself as the Queen's poet. And the guard informs him that, quote, you're not the Queen's poet. Tennyson is the Queen's poet because he was the poet laureate. Oh my God. Uh, And McGonagall then presents his rejection letter as like, see, she wrote to me, but it's like a form letter. And he has refused entry and has to walk 60 miles back through the rain, back to Dundee. Uh, However, he writes like an account of this and it gets published in a lot of newspapers. So like no press is bad press, you know? Oh, I agree. Uh, soon after, he receives a letter purporting to be from a representative of King Theba Min of Burma. And in it, he's informed that the king has knighted him as Topaz McGonagall, Grand Knight of the Holy Order of the White Elephant, Burma. This is fake. It's a very fake. It's absolutely a hoax. Oh, no, but he loves it, though. William would refer to himself as Sir William Topaz McGonagall, Knight of the White Elephant, Burma, in his advertising for the rest of his life. <laughs> Just every choice he makes, every single time he makes a choice, I'm like, yeah, I would do that. Oh, yeah, I would do that. Um, so finally in 1895, William and his wife moved to Edinburgh. And again, like, it kind of happens again where he starts performing in this town and everyone's like, this guy's fucking hilarious. <laughs> you, you have to come with me to the pub tonight. It's you just, have to come see No, Topaz that guy, McGonagall. that guy I told you about, no, he's gonna be there. Yeah. He's doing the thing. We have to go. Um, but that kind of popularity does not last long. And by 1900, he is destitute and at this point also old and sickly. Right. Uh, and for a while he walks the streets trying to sell his poems, but eventually he has to rely on donations from friends. And unfortunately, William McGonagall dies penniless in 1902 in Edinburgh and is buried in an unmarked grave. Uh, but later in 1999, they installed a grave slab in his memory with um, a poem in the style of William McGonagall. It says, William McGonagall, poet and tragedian, quote, I am your gracious majesty, ever faithful to thee, William McGonagall, the poor poet that lives in Dundee. And that's William McGonagall. And that's how I shall die. <laughs> Penniless, roaming the streets of Scotland, hawking my poems. I just, I can't, I personally can't get over, um... I will try to live in some other town where the magistrates won't boycott me or try to keep me down. Keep me down. (laughs) Agreed. That's a huge... He's a horrifying poet, but he's also a huge mood. If I may do a bit of literary analysis, it seems as though um, quite a few of his narratives deal with the concept of the man. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, and, you know, that's valuable work. I heard, actually, that he, they now think he passed away from stick it to the man meiosis. Right. Naturally. Which is I believe really there was hard. an outbreak in Scotland at the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a uh, School of Rock reference, if, if you don't you're get wondering. it, I don't have time for you <laughs> and the youths of today. Uh, so that's William McGonagall. Now we know about him. Now we know. Oh my goodness, thank God. Google people who were famously bad at their jobs sometimes. We'll because... do, and then tell me, tell us what we, which ones we should do. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Sam. That was a delight. Thank you. Uh. Thank you, because you're the one who really did the teaching and the thinking today. But we talked about at the end how we didn't come with any solid thoughts. No, but that's the best learning. You're right. The learning that is ongoing. The learning that puts it entirely on you. Yeah. Yeah. I went through whole classes in college that was just like, well, what do you think? And I'd be like, tell me what to think. That's what I'm paying you for. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, I think <laughs> we're all wrapped up. So, um, you know, ask your parents if they paid for your college education. And hope they lie to you. <laughs> and hope they lie to you. Go to class if you're in class and think about how everything is meaningless and... Um, Maybe write a poem. Your parents bought your personality, yeah. and you'll never really contribute to society. No. And um, stay horrified. Stay horrified. <laughs>